Hey everyone, this is Jamie Bateman. Real quickly, I wanted to share with you something uh, that's been pivotal in the growth and success of my businesses, and that is my partnership with Haven Financial Services. Um, I've been working with Haven for over a year now. Christine Valdez was on episode 70 of this podcast. So go check that out if you want to hear her story. It was a fantastic personal story for sure. But Haven has been awesome. They provide me with monthly reports that are super clear and discernible. And it, that provides me with clarity and focus so that I can do what I do best, which is running my businesses, not preparing financial reports. Um, again, if you're in the market for a top-notch financial service company, uh, or if you just want to check one out, go to www.jamiebateman slash Haven and check out Haven Financial Services. Again, that's jamiebateman slash Haven. I uh, can't recommend them enough. Christine and her team have been fantastic. So I definitely recommend you check out Haven Financial Services at www.jamiebateman forward slash Haven. Let's get back to the show. This episode is sponsored by the Integrity Income Fund, which is managed by yours truly and my team at Labrador Lending. The Integrity Income Fund is for accredited investors. It aims to pay an 8% preferred return and an 8.5% preferred return for early investors. It aims to pay out monthly distributions. There's a $25,000 minimum and only a one-year lockup. If you are an accredited investor and you're looking to get away from Wall Street, uh, looking to beat inflation, and looking for an asset class that is backed by hard physical real estate, then look no further than the Integrity Income Fund. Check it out at labradorlending.com. What's up, everybody? This is Jamie with the From Adversity to Abundance podcast. And man, this was... a, a I know I say this every time, but this was a fantastic episode. I got the opportunity to chat with Aaron Chapman. Aaron is a licensed uh, loan officer in Arizona who does a ton of business across the country. He works a lot with real estate investors. Um, and man, we talk a lot about financial challenges. Um, when he found himself without any any money, ba uh, barely able to even afford diapers or gas when he had a, a wife and, a, and a, an infant. And then we also talk about his uh, motorcycle accident that left him um, lying on the road, you know, for dead, basically. Um, not to, to be too overly dramatic, but he had a long battle. Uh, I think it was like a year and a half to get back to some level of normalcy. And then um, even, you know, I think he referenced a nine or 10 year kind of uh, struggle to get back all the way back. And physically that is, and um, obviously there's a lot to unpack there, but, and then also um, additional financial struggles uh, that were massive, which were related to or the result of his motorcycle accident. So he went from, he's had some real highs and lows with regard to financial uh, security, I guess, and, and abundance, financial abundance and financial adversity, uh, as well as health challenges, massive health challenges. Um, I think he's 48 years old now and says he's in the best shape. It feels great. He's doing great now. And, and um, this one, he just drops, I, I'm going to have to listen to this one again because he drops a ton of truth bombs. He's 
He's just full of energy and full of knowledge, full of passion. He's clearly a grounded individual uh, who has his principles, uh, extremely hard worker, and um, is just doing some awesome things. Really Inspiring a unique individual, of and it's hard for me to convey how, uh, to live how life to great the this episode is. So we are all guaranteed um, I know to face hardships. How will we handle the adversity? Check it out. Join us to be moved by everyday people who have turned poverty into prosperity and weakness into wealth. Be inspired as these relatable heroes get vulnerable. And former counterintelligence investigator Jamie Bateman puts his interviewing skills to the test. Restore your faith in humanity as you experience true Cinderella stories of average people turning surreal struggle and deep despair into booming businesses and financial fortune. Take ownership of the life you are destined to live and turn your adversity into abundance. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the From Adversity to Abundance podcast. I am your host, Jamie Bateman, and I'm super pumped today to be joined by Aaron Chapman of Security, excuse me, Security National Mortgage Company. Aaron, how are you doing today? Doing really, really well, Jamie. How are you doing, brother? Doing great. Uh, it's a little little cold here in Maryland, but that's what you get in uh, in November. So, I mean, Arizona's uh, starting to get a little cold everywhere. There was ice on the car this morning. So, there you go. Okay, we look forward was... to that, though, man. We're so <laughs> <laughs> we, yeah, we we are spoiled uh, when we get it cold. We love it. We'll go walk around our, with no shirts on in this weather. Definitely, yeah. I was actually in uh, Scottsdale. Um, I don't know how far that is from you, but. Um, probably a couple months ago for a mastermind. That was pr- pretty neat. And the, I know people make fun of people when they say dry heat, it's just dry heat. Well, dry heat is not as bad as humid heat, in my opinion. But uh, I 100% agree with that. In fact, um, some of the people from that mastermind I, I hook up with when they come into town, I used to be part of it. Um, but uh, yeah, the, some buddies, awesome. you know, they're coming to town. And it's 15 minutes from my house to go up there and hang out and got it. Good time. But, you know, I do travel a lot. So I get out into the South and the Midwest during the summer. And you guys can have that crap. I mean, I, <laughs> I, from people say, where would you live yeah. at different times? You know, it's like, I might stay in Arizona during the summertime because it's not only it's it's tolerable, but there's not so much the heat it's the bugs. It's like that. Gotcha. The, the bugs you guys have over. Yeah. In the oh, yeah. Absolutely. On the East Coast are insane. Yeah. Those things yeah. they hunt you down. In Arizona, they run from you. They're <laughs> they you're their prey. Yeah, we've we've had a serious mosquito problem this year. But um so for our listeners out there who have not heard of you, Aaron, uh, could you give us kind of a, an overview of who you are today? What's what do you have going on today with you, your your family, your business? Who who are you today? And then we'll jump back into your backstory. So uh, I'm I'm the in the mortgage industry. I focus in the conventional lending space because that's you know, there's there's 1.4 million people in the United States that do this job, and I started focusing on the real estate investor back in 2003. So now, right now, I'm ranked in the top 10 in the United States for the amount of transactions that I close. Um, number ranked number one in, in Arizona according to uh, to Modex who who tracks all this stuff. Um, I've got four kids. Most three of them are married. My youngest is 16. A wife of 26 years, and I've been I've been walking around on this rock since 1974, and I've got a background of of uh, cattle ranching, heavy equipment, mining, welding in the in the oil fields, and then stumbled my way into a driving truck and stuff like that, and then stumbled my way into the mortgage industry in 1997, and here I've just stubbornly kept trying to work it out. <laughs> 
after problem after problem after failure after failure to a point now we're at a pretty remarkable spot, but doesn't mean I don't have another ass whooping coming down the path. No, that's a great, great uh, synopsis and great way to put it. Yeah. So before we get into some of the adversity that you have faced and and overcome, um, what is your what does your business look like today? Uh, today, you know, being the fact that we're conventional lending to real estate investors, it's still very, very good comparatively speaking. Right, the industry as a whole is down sixty five percent. I just ran the numbers on my team at the as of the end of October, we were down twenty six percent. So significant difference from what's going on in our industry doesn't mean that we're not due for something to come and keep beating us up because it is getting increasingly hard to keep mm-hmm. business coming in because there's a lot of fear out there. But the more that you can help uh, real estate investors understand that this is a time that you want to dig in because this is when other people walk away from amazing deals because there's a lot of amazing deals out there. Still awesome deals. The problem is we've sold the shit way too wrong for too long. Because uh, it was so easy to make any deal work because of cash right. on return metrics since 2000, really 10 up sure. until now. Yeah. Now that doesn't work so well. So they're having a hard time selling using the exact same sales pitch because that was the easiest sales pitch in the world. Now it's, it shouldn't have ever been a pitch. You should have always been an analyzing the deal from the depth of it. And, sure. and the, the greatest asset in any transaction is the leverage. And if you can leverage yeah. 30 freaking years, it's going to perform period, unless you bought a piece of crap that's just eating you alive. Yeah, no, that's that's really good. Yeah, I I, I love single family rentals. We've got a, a portfolio in, in Maryland and Florida. And um, like I mentioned before we hit record, I'm mostly focused, focused on mortgage notes today. But I will say the, the leverage is one of those things about rentals that it, it's just not there with mortgage notes, you know, as far as buying the note itself, it's, you can, you can do it, you can make it work. And that's a whole different uh, rabbit trail, but it's much easier to walk into a bank and say, Hey, I want to, you know, or, or contact you and say, Hey, I want to buy the single family rental and make the numbers work. Um, than it is to do that with a, 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 the purchase of a mortgage note. But, um, and you, you mentioned before we hit record that your, your team is 30 some individuals. Is that right? 32 staff members uh, to achieve what I've achieved as far as as many transactions that we do. A lot of times in the industry, you'll find that a person like myself, a licensed loan originator, will have like six or eight more licensed loan originators underneath them out ferreting out business and bring it in and putting mm-hmm. under that person's name. That's not mm-hmm. how I do it. I'm the only licensed loan originator on my team, but I have all mm-hmm. operation staff put in place and we put them in and we're, we're actually rewriting our operational procedures as I speak. Because now that things have slowed down a bit, I'm able to really tighten stuff up. Mm. But I wanted to do for the last three years, in sure. fact, um, was that the CEO of Toyota back in the 70s referred to something as stream theory, not quantum physics. This had to do with his business. He said Toyota is like a stream bed, and you could flow only so much water down your stream bed. But naturally, you would have big rocks appear, you would have dips, you'd have valleys, you'd have uh, mm. humps in it, and it would impede the flow of the water in your stream bed. When it impedes that, it would overflow the banks, and you would lose that forever. So, so what you need to do periodically is dam it up, bring the water level down, we can see all these, these imperfections mm-hmm. are, and clean it out. I couldn't do that for the last three years. I kept adding and adding and adding and band-aiding to make the business sure. work and doing everything on the fly and just putting more hours and more overtime in. Now the business slowed itself down. 
Because mm-hmm. if I tried to gamut up before, it would cut new stream beds for other people to capitalize. I couldn't let that happen. Mm-hmm. Now the business has slowed it down enough where I can go in and dig all stuff out. So I spent an enormous amount of money getting consultants in here, going through this whole thing, paying hours for people to look at this and really, really dive into it. So mm-hmm. when if things open back up and our water levels come up even higher, we will be able to do more faster than anybody else in the industry. So hmm. I'm excited about the slowdown. I'm excited yeah. to do what I've been wanting to do. My team's freaking out, right? And <laughs> don't get me wrong, there's a little yeah. bit of freak out back there because there's I've got enormous expenses without enough coming in to really ha- handle it. But I'm hanging in by the skin of my ass for yeah. that last second. So when everybody else is getting ready to throw their hands up, I'm still here and we're sure. going to get the lion's share. Well, and like you already alluded to, you haven't you didn't start this two or three years ago. So, um, you know, I'm sure there will be new challenges and everything, but you've got the experience to, to weather the storm for sure. Um, so let's dive into your background. I know uh, the reason I reached out to you was I read a, a passage in a book that I obtained at that that mastermind, actually. Um, and and you talked, you uh, wrote part of this book and you, you talked about a, a motorcycle incident. Um, so I don't know if you want to start there or, or before that, but I'd love to, to touch on that a little bit and kind of, uh, you know, if we can focus on some of the adversity that surrounded that and pull out some lessons learned, and then we'll, uh, you know, move move closer back to today. That would be great. Sure. Yeah, I don't mind talking about that whatsoever. In fact, I'm going to take it back just a little bit. Sure. To kind of give a little bit more color to the background going into that. You know, yeah. I, I spent my high school years on a cattle ranch, right? A very, very simple business plan uh, when you're talking about dealing with that kind of stuff and developing cattle and selling it for beef. Uh, and then from there, went to the oil fields of Wyoming. From there, drove truck, ran heavy equipment. I found myself in the mines of northern New Mexico uh, with my dad. And it was it was awesome. My family sold the ranches. Um, partnerships went bad. And, you know, I've seen bad partnerships and it, it was ugly. Well, well, when the mines, the mine job is one of the best I've ever had. You're several hundred feet underground, you're drilling, you're playing with explosives. It was a great job running heavy equipment, <laughs> loved every bit of it. They start shutting down the project. Well, I had a great resume. I didn't think I'd have a problem getting a job. When I came back to the Phoenix Valley from northern New Mexico, I had a wife and infant son here. I come back and forth every 13 shifts. Um, I couldn't find a job to save my life. I kept getting turned down for uh, opportunity after opportunity because I was what they kept calling overqualified. I didn't understand this. I could either do the job or I couldn't. But in this right. situation, they're telling me I couldn't do it because they were – I know now why I'm overqualified as a business owner that sure. they're going to go somewhere else. Well, I remember going to get I, – I was completely out of money. My wife gave me a coupon for free diapers because we we're completely broke and couldn't even afford diapers. I was on my way to another uh, place to drive truck to haul landscape rock for 10 bucks an hour. Went in there, got interviewed, shot down again. As I'm driving away, wiping tears from my eyes, I I couldn't believe I was in this financial position. I'm driving to a grocery store. My gas light comes on on my truck. Again, another punch in the face. Pulled up to a gas pump outside a grocery store. The only form of payment I had was a debit card. Swiped it, got a decline. I mean, I said a prayer when I swiped that thing, and my prayer, I thought, was answered. I ride <laughs> right. my truck, and I found some change. Then I started walking that parking lot, and I found enough change in what felt like a couple hours to get two gallons of gas. That was back when people carried change, and back when gas <laughs> was 80-some-odd cents, right? <laughs> right? So I don't know how that would work today. I went in there with my coupon, got my diapers, and as I'm coming out, I'm trying to avoid eye contact with anybody because it just felt really, really – I felt really shitty. I mean, the one mm-hmm. item – and I'd get a, a coupon for for free. As I'm walking out, a person recognized me and I tried to avoid him, but he rang me down, asked me how things were. I explained the same thing. He said, let's go to dinner. I'm like, dude, I can't afford dinner. He goes, no, I got a gift certificate to Red Lobster from a client. 
So it turns out he used to be the guy who did all the schedule work when I dug swimming pools. And now he was in the mortgage industry. He took me to dinner, me and my wife. He shared this, this industry with me, slid me a business card for a branch manager at a broker shop. I made the call. And when I went to go meet with him, I cut a foot off of my hair. I shaved. My mom bought me some business-like clothes, so I looked like a professional. I went in there, and I started as a telemarketer in December of 1997. And that's a miserable way to start in this industry, but <laughs> I started. Sure. I got a job back to driving truck to Sacramento and back, then running heavy equipment again. I worked two jobs for a year before the rates went down below 7% on owner-occupied, mm-hmm. and I could replace my income. When I did that, you know, it it started to work and I got mm-hmm. to I could make a really good living. And then 2008 happened and I was doing really, really well coming up to that. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been going mock two of my scalp on fire again, working for yeah. uh, sleeping four hours a night to try and keep things moving. I decided to jump on the bike, spend three days riding through New Mexico, clear my head. I loved the mm-hmm. reserve in Mexico, a lot of windy roads. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the destination was the ride. 15 minutes into that ride, I was doing 70 plus miles an hour. A kid came into me, pushed me in another car. I hit the throttle to get away from him. So I'm thinking I was 80 plus when I took that tumble and I went skidding to a stop. I ended up with 17 broken bones, a uh, collapsed right lung uh, and a memory that only lasted three minutes. Um, So I don't know if you've ever been to Arizona in August, but I laid on the pavement on August 8th of 2008. Eight's always been my lucky number. So a day of eight's. I laid on that pavement at 1224 in the afternoon and I baked for about 20 minutes till paramedics got there because of the heavy three-day weekend traffic. And um, the first memory that comes to me was waking up in the hospital bed that night, uh, 12 hours later, asking where I was at, what had happened for the, had to be the hundredth time. My wife was repeating and it finally stuck what had hurt, occurred, but I had intermittent memories of things. Mm. So it wow. was it was learning how to walk again, had to resuscitate my breathing. But then the worst of it all is, you know, after all that process of learning how to walk again, was training my brain on how to how to remember things because I, I went it would pinwheel all the time. Um, so uh, what I did was I carried a notepad with me and I had two people. I mean, the entire industry was fragmented. All the people mm-hmm. I did business with were out. Nobody was left except for two people. My mom, mm-hmm. Mary Chapman, she was a realtor here in Arizona still. And another yeah. realtor, Carolyn Irby, who I think she's still still cranking out there. I just mm-hmm. don't do as much nice. in Arizona as I used to. And what they would do is they'd call me up. They'd give me a referral and then call me back five minutes later. Hey, did you call that person? I'd be like, what person? It's like, get your pad, get your paper, and then have wow. me write it down. And they're very patient with me. And then I call these people and uh, take notes. And if I look on my pad and there was an uncrossed out thing, I'd know to call that person. There was a lot of people I would call because I failed to cross it out and say, hey, I'm Aaron Chapman. So-and-so gave me your name. It's like, uh, yeah, we just talked. Yeah. Wow. I'm like, really? Is- what did we talk about? And they're like, are you kidding me? I'm like, let me just explain. And sure. um, there's a lot of people that, you know, they're, they'd walk away. But it's amazing how many had patience for me and helped me. So by the grace of God and by the grace of others, was I able to read uh, my memory back? I, I basically trained it back myself with other people's help. And I learned how to walk again. And once I learned how to walk again, I learned how to hike again. I learned how to run again. Then I went into the um, to the mountains of the superstitions. I became a technical rescuer for the sheriff's office for nine years. I led hmm. their technical rescue unit, which is all ropes and high angle and helicopters and that kind of stuff until hmm. it just got to where they didn't need us as much anymore because so they got more equipment and more funding. And so... Hmm. I retired after nine years of absolute amazing badass experiences out there hmm. where it was my life, my life and other people's lives were on the line a lot. And it was, hmm. it was great. I had a really good time. Wow. And, 
<laughs> I feel like there's uh, we, we've got about four or five, you know, episodes in, in what you just shared. That's that's amazing. It's it's crazy, scary, awful, amazing. I mean, that, that and this is the I've said this on other episodes. The risk we run into in this this with my show, frankly, is oh yeah, we just gloss right over all these you know massive challenges that that people go through, and we don't want to make it sound like you know like it was easier or quick and painless at all. Uh, um, but obviously, we, you know, we can't focus on all the details. But so as far as like, how much time are we talking between that, the accident and when you were kind of back to 100%? Um, so that was, you see here, the accident was August 8th. And I didn't start with the sheriff's office till the end of 2009. Um, so it was late 2009 wow. when I started there. And then, um, so it was about a year of okay. back and I wasn't even really back. I mean, I'll just be honest. The thing is, I was, I'm was i so always driven to, to do, 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 mm-hmm. but I didn't enjoy laying there and healing. And that's that was a problem, you know, to the mm-hmm. point that I actually did more damage to myself than I really needed to. It took me 10 mm-hmm. years to get really rehabilitated back to get mm-hmm. to where I wanted to get because um, of all the soft tissue damage that I didn't allow time to heal. And not until literally this last year was mm-hmm. I able to get back to a point uh, of really physically being able to do any dang thing I want right now. You know, mm-hmm. my body was not, you know, I've, I've torn both shoulders since then. I've had to have both shoulders repaired, all this mm-hmm. crap because I pushed things too hard and I mm-hmm. didn't allow things to heal the way I need to. Now I'm in some of the best shape I've ever been. I can do any damn thing I want physically. <laughs> uh, and I feel awesome. awesome, but I'm 48 years old, right? And <laughs> I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm going to know that I'm on downstroke, but I'm going to take care. I'm, gonna, I'm never going to heal again. I've broken 56 bones in my life. I spent nearly a decade of my life in, in, in recovery and I'm done with all that crap. Uh, a nice. lot of soft tissue damage, a lot of a lot, a lot of joint damage, all kinds of crap. And I'm done. <laughs> You're done with that. Got it. No, that's uh, that's that's crazy. So, and you said so. The what was your business looking like at that point when you had the the accident? It was good. I was still decent six figures. I was everything was doing well, but it's like the whole world came to a halt. Mm-hmm. Right around the same time that I went into the hospital, it's really kind of crazy. A lot of people were doing okay, and then everybody got fragmented. So sure. to me, it was an absolute blessing. Because think about this. During that period of time, a lot of people were losing their homes. They're going into foreclosure, having to having to go into bankruptcy. Well, yeah. when I came out of that, let me tell you, I went into that 190 pounds, maybe 10% body fat. I got wheeled out a few weeks later at 156 pounds. Uh, it wow. just completely, uh, it just, I, I cannibalized my body to heal. But when I came back out of there, everything was obliterated and the phone wouldn't stop. I was house, I had houses, there were a bunch of houses at the time that were just way underwater. Everything that I had in the market was gone. I went in worth about, you know, somewhere close to about $3 million. And I was a negative net worth of 1.5 million when I wheeled out in that wheelchair. So when the when the creditors were calling, I had a great story to be able to offer. Say, hey, what's your fax number? I'd fax them my just my first week's medical bill, just the first week, one point seven million dollars. The total value of all my expenses in the in the hospital for that couple of weeks that was there was over over almost three million bucks. Uh, so when I dropped that on people, they backed up real quick, and it's awesome how the creditors say, hey, what can we do for you? Sure. Like, and right. so I was able to negotiate with people. I had a certain amount of money left. That was it. That was squirreled away. And so I talked to every creditor and said, this is what I have. Will you take it? And then I worked it out with every single one where they're all willing to take a certain amount. And I paid them all off and they were gone. I went from massive credit card debt to nothing. I went from uh, being able to, to, I had to get rid of a bunch of cars. And I had one left. 
Actually, I had two left, so we could drive and whatever. And people backed up off me to let me keep my house, let me keep my two cars. I started over, not quite at zero, but pretty freaking close, right? So it's good to be able to go from needing $18,000 a month just to exist. I could exist on nothing. So now I live that same life. I could really exist on a house payment, and that's it. Everything else is paid for. I make way, way, way more money than I ever did, and I don't Uh spend as much. Well, I invest a shit ton, so I have it scattered all over the place. The market right now is having its way with it, but for the most part, dude, I could literally live, take my Jeep and my camp trailer, and I'd be happy now. That's that's awesome. So... It was primarily the medical bills that led to the financial challenges, along with the fact that your business, you know, essentially dried up at that briefly. Well, it was at the least. business that dried up, the extreme yeah. debt that I had because I was living like an idiot. Because gotcha. uh, I had heard once you break five years in the industry, it's only up from there. When I hit five years, I was making like three hundred grand. I'm like, it's up from here. <laughs> I can get stupid, and I did get stupid. Come on, eighteen thousand dollars a month just to break even every month is where I was at. And it was, I didn't make any sense whatsoever how I was operating. Sure. So for, for me at that point, it was um, it was the debt. It was the loss of income. It was a complete reset of the entire industry uh, sure. is what I was sitting at. And so I had to come right. back and start over and building new contacts, new business. But right. I didn't have anything eating at me financially. It was it was probably one of the best, the best things that could have ever happened because everybody else was on payment plans. They were on bankruptcy, mm-hmm. all that crap. Everybody right. just wiped hands of me and say, this guy we can't mess with because you're not going to get anything out of him. Because sure. I look so bad on paper <laughs> that it right. worked out. It, it literally the best thing could have happened. And to me, it was a blessing. While everybody else was fighting with their creditors, I'm like, bam, Trump card bitches. And they back <laughs> up. Sure. No, that makes a lot of sense. So I paid for uh, it for two years. Yeah, no, I it, absolutely. So 2008, 2009, essentially was a, a complete reset for you from many perspectives, from a business standpoint, from a health standpoint. Um, sounds like you you were already married and had uh, some children, but so maybe not so much from a family standpoint, but in a lot of ways that that period of time was a complete reset for you. Is that fair to say? True. And it was a reset in a family st- standpoint because I had four kids and my youngest was about two years old, who's now 16. And I, I, dude, I w- I'll admit I wasn't the greatest spouse or the greatest father at that time. I was so focused on everything else and mm-hmm. and all the things that when you're laying in that bed and you can't mm-hmm. do shit and other yeah. people do things for you and sure. you start seeing who's coming around and who's putting their energy into, you yeah. start to get to know. It's like, wait a minute, who are these people? And I think I like them. And then you've got <laughs> a two-year-old jumps up and does something really, really cool and really yeah. funny. And you laugh about it. And then it hits you and it's like, I'll never see that again. That moment's gone. How many moments right. have we missed? Now, sure. does it mean I have like done an about face on the most amazing attentive father and husband in the world? No. <laughs> I still got to drive around. I got to build business. Yeah. All this thing. But I have a very good friend of mine, Alan Stein Jr. He's got a phenomenal book out there. Look him up. Okay. But he likes to say, be where your feet are. And I have okay. found myself becoming better and better and better at being where my feet are. Sure. Yeah, I'm scattered and I stretched all over the place. But right. I'm intentionally building my business to allow me the opportunity to be present where I'm at and yeah. the same for all the people that work for me. Uh, that's really good. Yeah, I think a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with that and just, you know, just type A people in general, not just entrepreneurs, but anybody who's always pushing. It's like uh, you're, you always get you know, the next goal, the next thing, and, and you never take the, t- the time to, to stop and, and appreciate where you are now. And it sounds like you've, like you're saying, you've built that into your 
schedule in your business now, or at least you're working at that. Um, I'm getting better at it. Let's put sure. it that way. Not got perfect. It. Far from perfect. <laughs> I've got a, my, my first grandkid, she's, I think, 12 weeks old now. So I'm starting to wow. see some of the things that you've missed. Nice. And, all that. and so it's amazing. It's amazing to sure. see my daughter and her husband live next door. It's, it's, it's a great life. So cool. So yeah, like we said, you're not looking for the the adversity that you've been through. You're not looking for that to repeat itself, of course. But a lot. It sounds like you pro- your priorities were really well defined coming out of that, and you've uh, intent you know built your life in an intentional way after that motorcycle inc- accident and the uh, ensuing kind of rehab. And so now you mentioned to me something about. Um, I think 2015. Can you walk us through 2009 from 2009 up to today and, and touch on some of the challenges you've had during that period? So what? how it, I came out of that, right, is, you know, I worked for Countrywide at the time. The Bank of America took over while I was coming back. And mm-hmm. just let me tell you, going to work for Bank of America, in Aaron Chapman's opinion, was like serving time for something I didn't do. Um, but at the time I had a client come across, that was going to buy what they call an FHA flip. You know, you buy the house, whoever rehabbed sure. it, they've owned it less than 90 days and FHA wouldn't, would let that happen. But Bank of America wouldn't. So I left, I took that with me to another company, another person within the office at Bank of America said, Hey, I have the exact same thing. I'm going to flip it to you. So I took it and the other company said, they'd do it. I called the seller on it, which happened to be the same seller on both properties said, I'm going to go ahead and I got these deals. I'm going to get these done. They said, well, can you do FHA flip? And I said, yeah, I can. They said, well, everybody says that and nobody actually does. Well, mm-hmm. I made it happen. I closed that deal within 30 days, both of them at the same time. They called me and said, you got to come to our office. So I came to the office to introduce me, entire staff. They say, every person talks to him before we accept a contract, period. Mm-hmm. Well, at the same time, this big turnkey outfit that 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 um, takes investors all across the country to buy turnkeys was just coming into Arizona, and they targeted them for one of their sources of business. So they brought them in. They had several lenders already working with that turnkey outfit, that marketing company, if you will, and they mm-hmm. were putting their lenders in this outfit and said, no, if they don't talk to him first, we do not accept your clients. That mm-hmm. opened me up to the turnkey investor coming into Arizona. And all you have to do is be very, very good at communication and perform every single time. So we performed. You know, I had one mm-hmm. one person work, working with me. Her name was Ellen Schmidt, and we performed every single time. We worked our guts out. Sometimes we we're only sleeping four-hour nights. We we're coming in at 5 a.m., leaving at 9, 10 p.m. That kind of mm-hmm. thing. We got deals done, mm-hmm. and we were very consistent with it. Well, because of that consistency, one of the uh, original lenders with that turnkey outfit, they he cornered me in 2015. Actually, at the end of 14, he says, hey, we should merge our businesses. I'm like, Well, I ignored him uh, because I thought it was kind of dumb to even consider it. Well, then I had to call him about two weeks later because he was like a mentor of mine. I call him with problems and he would guide me through it. So I called him, started talking to something. And he goes, by the way, I was really serious about what I said to you. I said, what was that? He says, about us merging our businesses. I said, well, tell me what that looks like. So he explained it. And then I just had surgery on my right, sh- my left shoulder and had a rod removed from my, my right leg from the original motorcycle accident. So I'm literally, I fly out to Utah with a cane and a uh, and a uh, sling on. So it looked like a, a, bad tur- a bad chicken plate, you know, one bad wing and one bad leg. <laughs> right. So I sat and they explained what this looked like. And it looked like a great deal. So we merged our stuff together. He basically, I pushed all my database into his. But legally, we can only put the, the name of every de- one name on every deal. So we, we chose his. Yeah. And after six months, he decided he was just going to destroy it all and keep it for himself. And I had to start over at zero November 1st, 2015. Um, and what, what happened there, I fought for him not to do that, but he was insistent. So we had no choice. Mm. But I still had deals in the pipeline of his. So I was getting paid on those deals uh, while they were closing out. And, and I sat down with my little team. I had a couple people with me. I said, okay. 
what are we going to do for the phone ring when the phone rings? Because it's going to ring. It always does. We still have a brand out there. We still have an email that's going to come in. What are we going to mm-hmm. do? We mapped out the life of the deal. And we 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 decided how we're going to do it. And we started getting better and better at it. And that following year in August, so that was 2000, November 2015, August of 2016, we're at this big company-wide meeting. And the CEO is up there talking about production and who's what. And my ex-partner's there, and he's ranked number two in the company. Lo and behold, I was ranked number nine. Out of 300 some odd people. Wow. And I, I didn't realize that. I just had my head down. <laughs> sure. Grinding. Yep. 100%. And then later on that year, I became in the top five. And then by the end of, by by the next year, I was number one. And I kept cranking. Well, he left to go to another company and then another company, another company. He hasn't been heard of since. He's been out of the industry. Uh, he destroyed so, so let's, um. so, you know, because a lot of our listeners may have either formed partnerships or thought about it. And, you know, it, it, it's, um, you know, it, I'm curious what your thoughts are on, on partnerships in general or what you would do differently there. Um, lessons learned from either forming it or the, just the time that you spent uh, in partnership with him. So in, in, in forming, I think we had a great partnership that could have gone awesome. Right. But mm-hmm. the problem is we didn't define the roles well enough. Gotcha. We also, um, the other thing it is, is there was nothing really legally saying you couldn't pull this crap anyway. Mm. And a person could do whatever they want. The thing is, sure. I found is a partnership is needs to be where the two people are so opposite and mm-hmm. accomplish such different things that one person can't say, Hey, I can do it all myself. Sure. If you can do it all or they can do it all, then it's not a partnership. That's just right. my right. Yeah. I've seen some amazing partnerships. I've seen some guys do some amazing things and I wanted that. Yeah. But what I've developed is I don't need a partnership. I can still be at the helm of it. I just need good people at places where I suck. And that's right. what I'm doing is putting people where I am not good, but sure. it allows me to stay where I am best and then pay them extremely well to where right. they won't want to go anywhere else hmm. because they can't do their superpower and get paid so well doing their superpower. And that's that's what I've decided now. And that's how I've been developing this. Does it mean that this can't flip around and do something? Teach me another lesson? It sure as hell can. <laughs> but, um, right. So right now, it's worked pretty dang well. Sure. No, that's awesome. So, yeah. So, from that low point in 2015 to 2016, it sounds like 2015 you, it was the low point, and then it, by 2016 you were already building your own business back up. So, for those between in the last seven years, I mean, that's some amazing growth. Um, what would you say was were a couple of the main factors to, uh, with that growth? Um, really, the the first thing is I never allowed my brand my brand to die. I kept growing my brand, even though. We were under kind of under his brand, if you will, or, or our new brand. Um, so you never let your brand die. Always be unique. Always be a person that people want to know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's right. And then I just started getting out there even more so. A lot mm-hmm. more time on the road, a lot more face-to-face time, a lot more uh, speaking to people directly a lot. And so now it's, you know, the brand went from, you know, what it was to now it's you know, my my entire goal of becoming the most well-known person in my space. And I would say I've achieved that, but I haven't achieved mm-hmm. it well that I'm satisfied. The 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 intent that I have here is when people hear the name Charles Schwab, they think, you know, trading and, sure. and getting some trades. I want yeah. them to hear the name Aaron Chapman and think real estate investment finance, not yeah. that it's attached to a person, because I want that name to endure uh, with respect to what, what it is that we accomplish. And sure. so I do it differently than any some bitch out there. There's not a single person that looks, acts, or, or does things the way I do it. Uh, we've now taken uh, to the extent of digging deep into understanding the real estate investor better than anybody else. Understand what they're really seeking, not what you're being sold. 
and then creating tools to help them do that. I got an app out there to help show people that when you're leveraging something in a, in a high inflation or just a plain inflationary environment, how you're mm-hmm. never paying back what you borrowed and that you're winning just because you leveraged it. Hmm. What's the name of that app? Uh, you go to the uh, to your app store and just go get the QJO investment tool, which stands for the Quit Jerking Off Investment Tool. The reason I call it that is because people that are spending time just shopping for rates are wasting their time jerking off on things of zero value. If you really understand that getting the leverage done and getting the right property to keep reasonably rented for the entire time you own it, you can raise rents on it. Just levering the damn thing is going to pay you a 10.25% return on investment, just getting somebody else to pay off the loan. That's it. Right. Yeah. And then you get to the point of appreciation, get to appreciative tax benefits. Then you get to cash flow and cash on cash return. To me, that's the lightest metric. We have in the real estate industry poorly sold the worst metric as something to be the one you focus on because when the market shifts, you can't make those numbers work anymore. And now you got to mm-hmm. come up with something else. Now you need rates to go down or you go find like a five year arm or seven year arm to, to supplement your mm-hmm. stupid sales pitch. Um, don't do that. Because when people go get in those things, we don't know the future well enough to be able to say that you'd be safe in one of those instruments. And we've had a lot of foreclosure due to a poorly, poorly um, closed deal. Sure. Got it. Now, before I fire off some uh, some questions for you, what so what are you looking for? And you know, you already touched on it as far as the market conditions, but um how, what are you looking to do in your business as far as altering things with this high rate environment and high inflation? Um, so really, it's just continuing to build the relationships with everybody and helping people to understand where the real value is. The, the, sure. the tactics and strategies might change, but the principles always remain the same. The yeah, principles have not changed. Um, and so as a result of that, because those principles are the same, it's just allowing people to understand the principle and wrap their head around it that right. being pulled into a tactic or a strategy benefits somebody, but it isn't the person buying the real estate. It's benefiting mm-hmm. the person selling you the real estate and the person selling you the note or the loan. Mm-hmm. Right. Not, not you, the investor. You are actually somebody's prey. You know, we are. You know, we are as as humans are the apex predator and fall prey to no other species except other humans. And mm. right now is when the predators come out. Mm. And that's, so, that's, I, that's good for, for me. It's standing my ground and not allowing anybody to sway me for what is sexy right now or what's selling right now. I'm going to stick with my principles and what I know will benefit people, not what's just going to get the deal closed. No, that's awesome. That's really good. Um, all right. So some a few a couple of personal questions. What do people misunderstand about you? Oh, it's a good question. I don't know. Uh, because I'm very, very forthcoming with every damn thing. You, you do seem like you you wear your emotions on your sleeve if you were wearing sleeves and <laughs> yeah, they know uh, they know exactly who they're dealing with when I walk up and I don't yeah. let I don't let for, allow for a lot of guesswork. But I think probably the one thing they I, I get very underestimated if you don't know who I know who I am. Yeah. A lot of the time when I come into an to an event and I'm not known, and they'll say that there's a real estate investment finance expert walking that's been doing this for 20 four or 25 years, they have a certain idea in their mind of what they're going to see step onto a stage. Then I walk on there and I don't look any different. I look now, I might have a button up dicky shirt or a plaid shirt, <laughs> still wearing the steel chainsaw hat. And I'll right. walk up with a single braid or double braided beard and they're like, what in the hell is that here? <laughs> and I appreciate the fact they asked that question because if people don't ask questions, they can't hear the answer. I sure. need them to, under- to ask a question because they're going to listen intently to hear what do I have to say? And I now... I have noticed from feedback from the from the audiences that they will, I will be on stage with some pretty big names and people forget the big names, but they'll remember me. 
<laughs> because sure. it completely changed their mindset. The big name they expected, everything they got out of him, but what they got from you is way different than expected. So I wasn't planning on asking this question, but it popped into my head. I, I saw a short clip by I, um, part of the mastermind group I'm in I'm, is uh, a sh- guy named Sharon Sarvatsa. He He's part of the group, but he posted something, a, sh- a short video about, you know, how his mentors have always told him, don't care about what, what people think about you. But the reality is, you know, it, this is my opinion, is that you do, if you're going to be in business and you're going to try to add value to people, you've got to care about on some level what people think about you um, because you're not going to be able to listen and add value and, and actually solve their problems. So I'm just curious, how do you frame that from your perspective? What, do you, what are your thoughts on, you know, what on uh, worrying about what people think of you? So I, for me, I don't worry about it as much because I go after everything from the most benevolent position I can to give people the best information I possibly can from the knowledge that I have. Um, and also do it from a perspective of being very, very comfortable with who I am and what I offer you know, as far as my appearance, my speech, and the actual message that I'm bringing. Mm-hmm. Uh, as long as I'm doing that from that space, um, I, I really don't care what they think um, mm-hmm. as if they do have a negative thought process to what I'm offering, there's nothing I could possibly do to mm-hmm. draw them in. Period. Yeah. If all I did was 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 change it and sugarcoat it, and then and then then uh, costume myself up to be able to meet what they expect, just so I could mm-hmm. talk to them to find out they're not going to like what's underneath the surface anyway. If all I did was was sucker them in with bait, mm-hmm. just for them to walk away saying I was lied to, then yeah. that. And truly, I was lying to people with my appearance when I dress differently. Now, mm. because I come up to them, I'm sorting through people immediately. I'm what there's a lot of people who love to invest their money in different things. I invest mm-hmm. my money into people. I'm a people collector. I collect mm-hmm. relationships. Um, I fly first class not because it's a comfortable seat, because the conversation is different. Mm. The people I get to meet are different. Mm. The, the, the expansion of my of my holdings, as far as people is concerned, expands. Yeah all the time. I know so damn many people, it's ridiculous. <laughs> and to me, even the guy who's serving me my my steak, in, and there's a place in Utah, Carver's, and I'm, I'm risking even saying this, <laughs> in Utah, because I don't want people to freak out my damn place. But when I walk <laughs> in there, they know what I want. They actually special cut me my my specific steak. But I walk in, they know exactly what it is. I get the exact same guy waiting on me, and I overpay every single person. I tip the shit out of these people. Why? <laughs> Because when I come back, I get that service and better every single time. If I tip them one time more than I should have and they don't live up to it, then that's the last time I deal with that person. Sure. Right? But I collect people. I've got people all over the world. Wherever I go, they know who I am. Yeah, that's that's really good. There's so many gold nuggets there. that I've, uh, I haven't listened to all of my episodes again, but I think this is one I'm going to have to re-listen to. Um, so... What would you say, looking back, let's let's say if you had to give yourself, your 18-year-old self, some advice, what would that be? Oh, I do maybe treat people differently than I did back then. Um, I was a very, very angry person uh, growing up. I, I could I could go with a fist at the drop of a hat. I come from a, from a Irish father and a Spanish mother, right? Uh, <laughs> two, it's a, it, when you're when they would hit heads, it'd be like a a, a unstoppable force hitting an unmovable um, object, right? And that's right, right. I'm trying to work for a long time. I needed the ass beatings that life gave me to soften me to when it came to other people. Um, I needed, and I think everybody does. If you want to be successful in life, you have to embrace the time you get the shit kicked out of you. And actually, I'm working on a book right now. It's done. It's written. It's in. It's in edit. Uh, Robert Allen is the one who's doing the rough, the rough edit on it and the forward. Oh, and wow. 
It's going to be uh, a, a, a copy editor doing the rest of it. But it's in my voice. It's in my tone. It's in the shit that I say. And it's being very, very blunt sitting around a camp. Like I'm putting myself in position sitting around a campfire with 18-year-olds today saying this is how life is. Hmm. Um, and get ready for the ass whooping. And you have the capability to decide yeah. the ass whooping you're willing to take to achieve what you want to achieve. But one is coming. Whether you get it without knowing it or hmm. actually actually plan for the beating. But you can plan your beating. I've planned my beating more than one time with 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 uh, mind and pen, and I've achieved things that was unachievable in my mind until I wrote it out. But you got to pay for it, and it hurts. Mm. But it's so worth it to reach that plateau, or at least that point on the trail, and you're looking back uh, over what it was. And I thank God that he put a lot of mist and fog on the trail, so I couldn't see how steep, how treacherous. Mm how rocky and how many poisonous serpents were on that damn thing. Cause I would have never walked it to begin with. And now I look mm. back on it and that hell was worth every bit of it. And I know there's more coming. I just know just one step at a time and I'll gain more, get more ground and more knowledge and more information, more everything just by continuing on the trail. Yeah. That's really good. What do you have a title for the book yet? Uh, I, we have two of them and I, I've gotcha. been told to keep my mouth shut about them. So <laughs> got it. Got it. Because okay. I'm one that talks about everything. And <laughs> like, dude, you need to shut up. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you could have coffee or a drink or something with with any historical figure, who would you choose? Um, right now, I mean, I'm going to go with kind of a cliche one, but Abraham Lincoln, the guy was fascinating to me in the sense that how he handled problems and how he told stories. I tell a shit ton of stories. We would swap, swap stories like crazy. I'd love that conversation mm-hmm. because I think that there's not a story attached to a lesson, then it's not a lesson learned. Um, it is more merely yeah. just a statement, but when sure. you equate it to, to something that happened and, and drive home stories, things get yeah. done. And for a person to be so decisive, another person, for him to be, uh, continue to endure it beating after beating after beating to be basically the, the, the greatest president that we've ever had in, in the strongest country ever that faced a civil war and uh, segregation. I mean, not segregation, but but the uh, Emancipation Proclamation, all the battles yeah. that he fought. That's an amazing individual to fight all those things. There's a lot of great people. I mean, don't get me wrong. Oh, yeah. Amazing guy, whatever. But what Lincoln took on and sure. for him to have gotten into that from all the beatings of his life, that's the guy I want to sit with. The only other person yeah. I can sit with is a guy by the name of Porter Rockwell, one of the most badass some bitches ever walked this planet. And who is that? I feel like I've heard. Porter Rockwell. Yeah. Who? Who is that? What? So I've have you ever heard of uh, Have you ever heard of Wild Bill Hickok? Yeah. Okay. So the guy was killed in in Deadwood, South Dakota, known as the 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 fastest with a pistol in history. Yeah. Well, he was said he was it was said that if he ever saw Porter Rockwell walking down the same side of the street as him, he across the street and keep walking. That man <laughs> is credited with killing well over a hundred people. Um, wow. Been, been shot at like crazy, never touched by a bullet, and one of the meanest some bitches ever walked this planet. But also <laughs> one of the kindest men that's ever been around. Mm. So it is possible to be be both. <laughs> yes, it's it. possible to be both. It's one of these things that you you be what you have to be at the time that you're there. Sure, that's really good. Um, a little bit off the wall, but if you had to try a different business, entirely different business or occupation uh, outside of the mortgage industry, what would that be? That's a very good question. I am. Um, I've been so dead focused on this. It yeah. probably yeah, probably goes straight into like uh, commercial or uh, residential real estate investments. Uh, sure. I just go full all all the way into that. Right. If I had to go into an occupation itself, I'd probably start. But I, I really really enjoyed the automotive industry. I've done a lot of stuff there. 
Um, and then uh, probably get into into that. And the only other one that I get into is is uh, is is uh, guiding. You know, for hunts, I love mm, to hunt. Gotcha. Enjoy hunting. I've got video yeah. crap of us moose hunting, whatever. I go to guided hunts. That's awesome. Cool. Um, other than your own book that's coming out, what's a book or two that you would recommend? Uh, the greatest book that's ever written, in my opinion, outside of scripture, um, is the Master Key System by Charles Hamill. Uh, okay. It was a correspondence course in 1910. You get the course every month, they, every week they give you a lesson. You'd read the lesson over and over and over again every day for a week and do the exercise at the end of the lesson every day. So what you're doing is you're training your brain on how to focus and how to uh, push out things of zero that, that are just trying to take your attention from you. After mm-hmm. 24 weeks, you can pretty much focus your attention. What's mm-hmm. awesome about that, in 1910, he talked about things mentally that, that was going on inside your brain that we didn't know about until mm-hmm. the 2000s. When you got a guy like um, Joe Dispenza, who shows you in real time how the brain works um, with with the neurons connecting and firing and rewiring your brain, and he talked about this in 1910. It's an amazing book. It's five ninety nine on Amazon. Get the damn book. Do not or without that book. Second greatest book, I believe, is the is the uh, is Napoleon Hill's um, um, Outwitting the Devil. Mm, yeah. Because yeah. it couples that one so well, right? So this one's teaching you how to focus your mind. And that and the premise that when the devil is that, you know, if in in this interview with Satan himself, he says how he could controls people is influencing them to drift. But if you can't focus on any one thing, you can't accomplish anything. So sure. it tells you the outcome of you not gaining control of your brain. And here is the lessons on how to control your brain. Mm. Wow. Those two books seem like a very relevant in today's world where we're so distracted by social media and everything else. That's, that's really yes. good. Weapons of mass distraction is what we're facing. <laughs> there you go. Um, what about other, other podcasts that you enjoy? You have your own show, right? Um, I just do a, 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 twice a week. I do a, um, a video to my database, just explaining what's going on in the market and my perspective on it. I get a lot of people saying, Hey, we can get you 10,000 viewers. I'm like, I don't want 10,000 viewers. I'm happy with 800 subscribers because it's targeted to them. Now, sure. if other people pick it up, they pick it up. Um, as far as, I mean, who doesn't listen to Joe Rogan, right? I don't listen to him all the time. But for right. me, my head is down working, just looking at the markets and understanding how things are shifting. I'm not, I, I do listen to National Real Estate Post very, very often. And, and, uh, and, and Rogan, those are, when it comes to podcasts, that's where I focus my energy. I have, of course, listened to some Andy Frisella, who doesn't like getting punched in the face verbally over and over and over again. That's kind of <laughs> nice. But that, that's, that's where I put my energy at. Got it. Awesome. So you've touched on this already, but how do you like to serve others? Um, really by being the absolute best person I possibly can be is how I serve other people. A lot of people ask me why I'm, what drives me, what motivates me to keep doing and doing and doing and doing. Well, I have to be sitting on a boat at the time I was asked that question. It was, uh, it was uh, Kevin, one of Kevin O'Leary's business partners asked me that question. Well, I was sitting next to, to a guy I do a lot of business with by the name of Marco Santarelli, and I pointed over to him. I said, mm-hmm. he drives me to do business, to do what I do. And he goes, what do you mm-hmm. mean by that? How do I drive you? I said, you and your staff drop my name all the time. And because mm-hmm. you do, I need you to look like a rock star because you drop my name. Mm-hmm. If I suck at what I do, you automatically suck at what you do because you're the one mm-hmm. who gave them my name. Sure. But if you gave them my name and, we, and me and my whole team end up being badasses, that just made you a badass because you know us. I need you to become better and thought of as, as a better individual or a great resource because you recommended me. So I have to get better. That's how it is. I serve other people by ensuring that everything we do is to is to be better at what we do, not for us, but for those who are willing to drop our name. Hmm. That's fantastic. That's 
I haven't haven't received that response. That's really good. Um, so now looking back at the adversity, we've talked about the you know the 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 financial challenges, the uh, motorcycle accident, your rehab, and then your your partnership gone bad. And um, could you touch on two or three things that are kind of just lessons learned? I mean, we've, we've already covered a ton, but just what would you say kind of comes to the surface when you think back on those challenges? Uh, that the, the the greatest blessings in life is the ass beating that you take, period. You will not, let me tell a story all the way back yeah. to six years old. Um, I didn't go to kindergarten. My, my parents put me into a Pentecostal school because everybody said it was a great school <laughs> and started me in first grade. There was a point in that where they kept us separate. It was, it was, it was first to, to, to senior. I mean, they had all 12 mm-hmm. grades in this, this school being, being run inside their church. Well, we were off learning the alphabet as, as uh, first graders and we were going through every letter. And back then there was film strips. This is this, I think it was 1980, right? So it had these film strips that it, it would, you had the, the music on a tape and then when it hit mm-hmm. a beat, flip it to the next, next, next frame. Well, we got to the letter M and it's about this mule named Milton. And okay. the, the limerick went, Milton, the mule, he made a mistake. As he read a map, he walked in a lake. Now, I'm 48 years old now, and I remember what I did at six years old. So 42 years ago, I remember leaning over to the little girl sitting next to me. She was my neighbor you know, at home and also my neighbor here. And um, I sat next to her, and I, I redid the limerick. And instead of Milton walking into a lake, I had him pissing in a bucket. Stupid sounding thing, right? But that's what I said. She right. chuckled. My teacher heard it. She grabbed both of our ears, took us to the principal's office, sat us down where I had to repeat what I said. Now, the principal is a very, very, very big man. Mm. Well, he turned around, pivoted in his chair, reached underneath his desk and pulled out an aircraft aluminum briefcase, dialed in the code, ceremoniously cracked it open and turned it so we could see the contents. Inside it was a paddle, a very, very ornate paddle with holes drilled in and all kinds of stuff in a padded interior. He made us stand up, turn around, put our hands on our chairs, and he walked behind us and gave us both a swat. Now, I had taken a lot bigger beatings from my dad. You know, my dad, I mean, he whooped our ass growing up. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the fact that the beating hurt or the swat mm-hmm. hurt, it was the gravity of the situation. Now, because of that, and I knew I was going to face my dad that night and get another whooping. Mm-hmm. Now, how many letters are in the English alphabet? 26. 26. I had to Google that shit because I thought it was 26. <laughs> so 26. 26 letters. How many do you think I remember the limerick for? How many? I don't know. How many? Just the one. Just the letter M. Why? Because I got my ass whooped for it. Sure. 42 it. years later, I remember the beating I took and every single word associated with that beating. We as humans have to get our ass kicked to learn the lessons. Got it. Now, unless you're going to go out there and learn the lessons directly and understand things directly and really, really focus on them, you're destined to take a beating to learn what you need to learn. Don't shy away from beatings. Sometimes That's you awesome. got to love to taste the blood. And, <laughs> and a lot of times that blood you're, you're going to be tasting is your own. So are you seeking out beatings now or are you just, uh, as the as you're experiencing them, you're just framing it differently? Well, what it is, as I, I'm experiencing less and less and less because I've learned from the ones I've had. Now, it doesn't mean that new ones aren't coming, but they soften as they go because you don't need the massive beatings to learn sure. your lesson, right? Yeah. Uh, one of the biggest lessons I learned, some of the biggest lessons I learned were just devastating at the time. It's the greatest thing that ever happened to me. I, I like to always ask people, what's the, what's the best, worst thing that ever happened? Meaning the worst thing that could have happened at the time was the best thing that could have happened for you. And we need to embrace the times that we get our ass kicked. 
I like to say that there's this big ominous foot that's walking around kicking your ass all day, every day. But you've got to get up before the foot does. I think it weighs up, wakes up at 730 because if somebody's waking up at 745 to get to work, they're getting the shit kicked out of them all the time. I wake up 4.30 a.m. and I go about my life with my purpose to get done what I need to get done before the rest of the world wakes up. And I'm never behind in front of the foot. Uh, I'm so far ahead of the foot that sometimes, Mm -hmm. most of the time, it doesn't get me. But if it does get me, what you'll find that when you get kicked, it propels you. You get up and keep running and you'll be far ahead of it. It's when you lay there and lick your wounds that the entire world passes you and it leaves you behind. Don't lay there. Get up and get moving and take what you just learned to, to as and apply it towards that next moment and keep applying every lesson you've got. You'll be amazed at how far you advance quickly after a beating. Man, so much good stuff. Wow. Uh, so Aaron Chapman, where can our listeners reach out to you if they want to reach out? Uh, you can go to the Quit Jerking Off investment tool, right? The QJO investment tool is how you find it. In the upper left corner, there's a question mark. Hit that. It'll take you to my site. You can also just Google Aaron Chapman. There's only one bald bearded redneck lender on there. There's a soccer player, a pastor, another author. Uh, you've got, uh, you can also go to AaronChapman.com. I'm right there. You can look me up on YouTube. Just search Aaron Chapman. You'll find my YouTubes on there. Again, another bald bearded redneck with a field <laughs> case on that, right? There's, yeah. uh, there's ways to find me. If you can't find me, it's because you suck. <laughs> I would I would second that. It wasn't very difficult to to find you. Um, so no, this has been fantastic, Aaron. I really appreciate you uh opening up and sharing your your story about these challenges you've overcome and and uh you're very real and just um you know the fact that we know that more challenges are coming, but you've been able to pull out these lessons learned and and uh I am positive that our listeners are gonna get a ton of value out of this one. So is there anything else you want to share before we sign off? Um, that's it, guys. Just be willing to take the beaten. And, uh, and learn from it. More beatings are coming. Try not to give yourself any more than you have to. Because a lot of times, the biggest beatings we take are the ones that were self-imposed. Fantastic stuff. Thanks, Aaron. Uh, and to our listeners out there, thank you very much for spending your most valuable resource with us. And that is your time. Thanks, everyone. Take care. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of the From Adversity to Abundance podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. That helps others find the show, and we greatly appreciate it. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode. Hey there, it's Jamie Bateman. Ever felt boxed in by life's challenges? Dive into my new book, From Adversity to Abundance, Inspiring Stories of Mental, Physical, and Financial Transformation, available now on Amazon. From a former bank robber's redemption to a young entrepreneur's victory over hurdles, these stories are not just inspiration. They're the roadmaps to your transformation. Whether for you or as a powerful gift to friends and family, especially those who might not tune into podcasts, This book is a beacon to a life of abundance. Ignite that inner fire and set your course to the life you've imagined. Purchase yours today on Amazon and light the path for someone you love.